Generations Church exists to glorify God in our community, to make disciples of Jesus, and to multiply churches so that the next generation is equipped to glorify God better than we did. Welcome to the Generations Church Podcast. We are in our series called Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude, exploring the themes and modern-day connections of the Heidelberg Catechism. Hey, everybody. My name is Scotty Hines. I'm one of the pastors here at Generations Church, and joined and alongside of me, a little redundant, but it's Jeff Ludington, the lead pastor at Ge- uh, Generations Church. How are you, sir? I'm well. I'm well, man. I, this is, uh, nobody knows it. This is uh, take two. Feels like take 10. Uh, I, you know, for whatever reason, I don't think we're quite awake yet. So. No, no, man. But you know what it is? It's it's Lord's Day 21. Oh, Vente it is today? Uno. It's today. Oh, Lord. Well, gosh. technically right. it would have been Sunday, Lord's Day 21. Oh, okay. Can't timestamp the day, but uh, man, we've gone through 20. Okay. 20 Lord's Days. We've got right. a... Pretty significant amount of theology covered, some good conversation. But today, man, we enter uh, day 21. You excited? I am, man. So if you do the math, if there's 52 weeks that we're covering, so we've committed to a year's worth of podcasting through the Heidelberg Catechism, which if you're unfamiliar, you're just clicking in. It's a 450-year-old document that was a way of teaching, oftentimes from a father to a son. and, And the method of learning was to memorize questions and answers. And so we're memorizing truth, right? Yeah. And we believe that the scripture gives us this truth and that truth is historic. It doesn't change throughout time. And so yeah. the Heidelberg Catechism is not perfect, but it's a good, it's a great learning tool. What is always right is scripture. And That's so right. we're working our way through the truths of scripture using as a resource, a, a textbook, a manual, if you will, the Heidelberg Catechism. So Lord's Day 21, episode 21 for our podcast means we're nearing the midpoint. Yeah. So if there's 52 episodes, 26 will be the middle, 27 will be the middle, right? We're, we're getting there. We're getting there, man. Feels Chip, good. It feels really good, man. It, it uh, When you first begin this this task, it's like, wow, it's an elephant. But then you take one bite at a time, and now it is, it's, it is. it's very manageable. Yeah, man. So. so here's where we are in the Heidelberg Catechism. If you're unfamiliar with this, if you're just clicking in for the first time, just know this. The Heidelberg Catechism is a way of learning, like I said, we memorize the questions and answers in order to learn truth. And it works us through a series of themes throughout the Bible, right? Yeah. We're going to go through, you know, the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer. And in this section, it's talking about the Apostles' Creed, something yeah. that was birthed out of the Apostles in the first century, got to its final written form in the fourth century. And it is uh, what many Christians have heard in church. You know, I believe in God the Father you know, almighty maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son who, you know, born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, all the different things that it talks about. Yeah. Last week we talked about, I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? And today we pick up with talking about the church. And so there's three questions today. I want to, I want to look at them today, if you don't mind, man, one at a time. Yeah. And so let me lead off with question 54. I'll read the question. Pastor Scott's going to do the answer and it kind of like a a father to a son or a, you know, a discipler to a disciple would do. Yeah. So question 54, Scott is, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? I believe that the son of God through his spirit and word out of the entire human race from the beginning of the world to its end gathers, protects and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. Moreover, I believe that I am and forever will remain a living member of it. So if you're listening, you clicked on this, and I asked the question, what do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? And you looked at your iPad app and backed up 15 seconds to hear it again. (laughs) 
That's what I said, but that's not necessarily what you might hear. Uh, so Sounds like Catholic Church needs some it does. defining. It sounds like we're looking for a pope and we're Roman Catholic, and that's not what it means. Not so the all. word Catholic, if you're listening, tuning in, have never heard that used in this context. Catholic does not mean a denomination of the Christian world, if you will, or a version of church. Catholic means universal. Uh, oddly enough, the Roman Catholic Church that exists today, you know, uh, that tend to be, you know, Hispanics or Italian, you know, some of those have that Roman Catholic background, yeah. if you will, right? Very ensconced um, in those cultures. Yeah, right. Ensconced in some of those cultures. And, you know, my next door neighbor is actually a, a pretty active Catholic, right? Well, when we say Catholic today, we mean Roman Catholic. Yeah. The word means universal, so it's an odd pairing of words. Roman universal is really what Roman Catholic means. Yes. So that is a version of Christianity today. We could talk about whether or not that's good, bad, or indifferent some other day. But when the Heidelberg Catechism, more importantly, when the Apostles' Creed says the Holy Catholic Church, right? It's talking about the holy or, or separated people of God universally. That's all it's saying. It's not talking about Roman Catholics at all. In fact, this was written right after the Protestant Reformation where Protestants meaning those who protested the Catholic Church and Reformation, those who wanted to reform the Catholic Church, they were not identifying with the Roman Catholic Church anymore. But this term, Catholic, has been around for about 17, 1800, 1900 years, for sure, the last 1700 years. Uh, but it, it's used to mean the universal church. Ah, so essentially how you and I attend Generations Church, and right? this is our church, uh, we have our brother Mike Larson down the street in yep. Bellflower. He is part of uh, um, Encounter Church, but right. we, as two different churches, are are the Catholic Church in a sense. Yeah, the Universal Church. Yes. We would never use the term Catholic no, today because no. it's confusing. Yes. Right? But it's important as we look back at our historic faith. Yeah. Whether we're looking back 450 years to the to the to the Catechism that we're using the Heidelberg, uh, or if we look back even further. 16, 1700 years to the written form of the Apostles' Creed, understanding what Catholic meant. Yeah. So when we talk about the universal church, understand this, it's much broader than we might think. If Absolutely. you go to a Calvary Chapel, maybe your church is as wide as the Calvary Chapel system. If you're a part of an Acts 29 church like we are, maybe it's network wide. Or, you know, if you're a Baptist, maybe it's, you know, kind of yeah. your version of that denomination or whatever else it might be. My good right? old brother Matt. Exactly, right? <laughs> but... The universal church exists and, and includes not only all those things that we know of in America, those different uh, versions or brands, theological streams, yes. but also the Orthodox Church, right, that has a rich, deep history. Uh, we could talk about the Roman Catholics and what they believe, but I believe that there are Christians that go to Roman Catholic churches Absolutely. that are faithful believers. I disagree on theology, but just like I would say not every Roman Catholic person is a believer in Jesus, I'd say most... That's not true. I, I would say that not every person that attends a Christian Bible teaching yeah. church is a Christian, yeah, right? Absolutely. So that's all a, a, a faith-based thing. But if we broadly just zoom out and say the Orthodox stream, the Roman Catholic stream, and the Protestant stream, all those fit. Those who are truly believers fit the Holy Catholic or Holy Universal Church. Would it be safe to say that a, a way of clarifying... Uh, those who belong to the universal church or those who subscribe to the Apostles' Creed? That would be typical Orthodox, and, and I don't mean Orthodox in the Eastern Orthodox or you know Russian Orthodox or anything like that, but meaning traditional views. Mm -hmm. The Apostles' Creed 
really was a basic subset of beliefs okay. that everybody ascribed to. So yes. here's what is true. The Apostles' Creed, which, by the way, exists from the Apostles forward, so first century forward. Yeah. But its final written form that we have today yeah. was put together and, and written in the early fourth century. So three, I think it's in the 320s or something like that. And then finally, it had a revision amongst the churches. That I think it's like 385 or something like that. Don't quote me on the exact numbers, but it's all in the fourth century is the written version yeah. we have. Okay. Written in Greek, right, as we've talked about on our podcast talking about did Jesus descend to hell? That's one of the things I talk about. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. We have a Latin version of it that came out, you know, a few hundred years later. But all that to say this, Orthodox churches, so Russian Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, all the Orthodox Eastern churches, they ascribe to the Apostles' Creed. They use the Apostles' Creed as a summary of simple Christian doctrine. Wonderful. The Roman Catholic Church, the actual Catholics, like when you hear the word you think of, yeah. they use the Apostles' Creed. And almost all Protestant, Evangelical, whatever, Reformed, Methodist, Baptist, non-denominational, denominational, doesn't matter, almost all of them ascribe to the Apostles' Creed. So it is one of the, if you distill, distill Christianity down to its most basic form, you come up with some very simple things like the Apostles' Creed. Ah, very cool, very cool, man. So all that by way of preface, and we're halfway done with our podcast. So ah, let me do this. It's good stuff. When I asked the question to you, what do you believe about the Holy Catholic Church? You said a few things that are important. And one of them I want to look at, right, is that, that you were stating that you believe you are part of a community that God has, or that more importantly, that Jesus, through his spirit and word, as the, as the answer says, yes, out of the entire human race, from the beginning of the world to its ends, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a community chosen for eternal life and united in true faith. So we've talked about united in true faith in one sense as we talk about the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. Okay. But the other is, has chosen a community to gather, protect, and preserve for himself, meaning Jesus, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the distinctives that you and I have as being a part of a church that is reformed in its theology, mm -hmm. right, is that we believe something about that that not every church believes about that. If you're from different streams of theology, you may or may not believe this. We see this as one co cohesive community of faith. What was God's people in the Old Testament, whether that's before Israel, during Israel, or those other nations as an example, you know, as Jonah is a missionary sent out to Nineveh and Nineveh repents and believes, yeah. we would say all of that is the community of faith. And so we don't see Israel as national Israel. We see Israel as spiritual Israel. Absolutely. I think the New Testament gives us some clear places, but quickly. Romans 9 says, It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So not all who are born from that ethnic group, that yeah. nation, that descendant, or, you know, that, that heritage, if yeah. you will, are... Israel. So he's saying, listen, there's a national component mm -hmm. and there's a spiritual component, Very right? The so, next yes. verse says, and not all are children of Abraham because there is offering offspring, but through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So what's kind of going on there is Abraham has more than one son. Yep. One son is a son of disobedience. One son is a son of obedience. That's yeah. Isaac. Yeah. Not just because you have Abrahamic blood in you. Are you a part of Israel is what Paul is saying in Romans, right? But it's those who adhere to the faith, right? Verse 8 says this means that it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. So in our church and in, in, in uh, much throughout Acts 29 or Reformed churches, um, 
many of those in, in this Reformed theological stream, we would say that it has nothing to do with Israel as a nation, but that God used Israel as a nation to bring his covenant to bear on us. Yeah. I like to always say that <clears throat> we are the fulfillment of those those promises and covenants. Yeah. The grafting in of the the non-Jewish ethnic yeah. uh, people. To the ends of the earth. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Right? So, well put, man, well put. Yeah, so the community of Israel, man, for me, when I read about Israel, yeah. I have to ask the question, is, is the Bible talking about a national people group or is it making a promise about a spiritual people group? Yeah. And so for me, we are not just the fulfillment of that, but we're the continuation of that. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So spiritual Israel today is the church. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, man, question 55. Uh, why, don't we, why don't we get into that yeah. uh, next? So go ahead. You read it, and I'll, I'll answer Question it. 55 says this, man. What do you understand by the communion of saints? I missed my cue, man. I'm going to be honest. You teed that up for me. Uh, well, let's go to question 55, and I sat here and stared at you. So, hey, you're I right. You I back. need to read it. I I'm going to do it again. Up. I said, you got this. Here we go. <laughs> what do you understand by the communion of saints? First, that believers, one and all, as members of this community, sharing Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that each member should consider it a, consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and carefully, cheerfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. Man, that answer is humbling. I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't think I've ever gave that answer the respect it's due, but there is some conviction there to me, my friend. Well, before I do, I, you know, I had something in mind, but what, why? Tell me, expand on that. Tell well, me, why do you see that as humbling and convicting. Share with me what kind of well, crossed through your mind. So, so m- m- I obviously always look at my faith um, in my home, right? Okay, mm-hmm. How's it going to affect my kids? Uh, or however I'm functioning, how's it affect my home? And then usually I end with that logic with my local congregation. Sure. But as I read that, man, that really holds me accountable that I'm not just representing Generations Church. I represent Encounter Church. Mm. I represent, uh, you know, the church, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. I'm, I am... I am a Christian, and right. I, I have a, a, a responsibility to use my gifts to not only glorify God in what I'm doing, but I do represent these other churches. I don't know if I'm clearly getting it all out, sure. but, but it just I feel like a, a greater sense of accountability, not just to my local community. When I read that, it really tees me up, and it, it makes me think of how am, how am I exercising my theology and, and you know in my faith, and, and and is that causing a negative reaction towards? others in the faith because we are the catholic church you know as you're talking about we are a universal because we subscribe to king jesus that's good so let's uh let's take this so that if my question to you is what do you understand by the communion of saints right we're talking about the communion of saints is the relationship of one believer to another okay that in a simple setting right the communion means the fellowship or relationship right of the saints and by the way if you're listening and you're you're unfamiliar In some streams, they call saints are people that have died and been venerated. There's different rules to that or whatever. You know, St. Peter was the Apostle Peter or whatever. Yeah. When the Bible speaks about saints and and every stream, uh, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, they would all agree with this. When the Bible says to the saints in Ephesus, it means the living believers in Ephesus. Yeah. So we could talk about why the other strands of Christianity do that and whether or not we agree with it or disagree with it. That's a different conversation. But... When this question asks about what do you understand by the communion of saints, both Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant all know we're talking about the relationship between one believer to another. So that kind of makes your point that 
we representing Christ and his church, if we are acting in a certain way that is unbecoming to Christ and we're doing so in Bellflower, we could have a negative impact on how people view the church in Bellflower where Encounter is or Costa Mesa like yeah. the Southern Calvary is, right? And so that's the first half. Well, believers, one and all, as members of this community, share in Christ and all his treasures and gifts. Now, we're in a series on Sundays called Not Your Treasure to Bury. Yeah, right? really we're good working series. through... I love this series. Yeah, I mean, great. I don't I sound all partial because I'm doing it, but I love this series, right? But what we're saying is, hey, there are things that God has given you, but they're not just to in, dead end into you, that you are blessed to be a blessing, which mm-hmm. has been said since Genesis 12 when God speaks to Abraham yeah, or yeah. on into the New Testament. I will bless you so that you can be a blessing, you know, it says in Corinthians. And so, I mean, it, it's, it's a continued theme. I will, use, I will bless you so that you can then go and be useful by me. And so we're in this series saying, listen, what God has given you, it's not yours to bury. It's God's given to you to be used for his kingdom. And primarily, it will be lived out through the local church. 99% of us will use what we've been given by God in the local church. The other percent might become a church planter in another city or a missionary in another country or something like that. Most of us will do it here in the local church. That's true. So the second half of this question and answer, or the second half of the answer, excuse me. Secondly, that each member should consider it a duty to use these gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of the other members. I made a point a couple of weeks ago in a message about community that most modern American Christians today choose whether or not they participate in a small group community in a home based on whether or not they think it will benefit them. Do I think this group will grow me, or do I think what they're teaching will be something I need to learn? But the Bible speaks of it very differently. Like, the, you know, I, I think of Hebrews when it says, stir one another up to yeah. love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, right? Great passage. Like, what about your responsibility to go care for other people, mm. love other people, right? That there's a twofold responsibility. Yes, we will grow in those communities, but what if, and, and please, this needs to be checked by people's egos, but what about your contribution to one another? What about you going and being a community of faith to other people, caring for them, serving them, loving them, instructing them, or letting them instruct you or whatever? What about the relationship to one another? Yeah, that's, that's a great question because um, we need to be held accountable to that and we need to see our, our role in that and that there's value. Yeah. You know, you got to sacrifice sometimes your own time, your own comforts. Right. And go invest in yourself and others. It's great, man. Well, that brings us to the third question, my friend. Let's do question that, Question 56. Oh, I got my cue this time. Got I'm ready. 50, All right. What 56. do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins nor my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. Rather, God, by grace, grants me, through, grants me the righteousness of Christ to free me forever from judgments. So if you guys remember last week's episode, uh, what do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit is the question, right? And uh, I said, man, one thing I'm, I'm a, a little critical of here for the Heidelberg Catechism, and it's not the Heidelberg Catechism that does it, it actually is the, the Apostles' Creed, but we've kind of embraced this, this yeah. pattern, is there's you know, several questions about Jesus. There's several statements about Jesus, and there's a reason for that. There's more statements about Jesus than there is about God in the Apostles' Creed. There's more statements about Jesus than there is about the Holy Spirit. In fact, there's more statements about Jesus in the Apostles' Creed than God the Father and the Holy Spirit combined. But that's because in the first 400 years of the church, the biggest problem was figuring out who Jesus is. Yeah. 
But as you fast forward, you know, another thousand years and the Heidelberg Catechism is being written, they, the Heidelberg Catechism asks more questions about Jesus and asks more questions about God the Father, but only asks one about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so here we are, and last week I said, to be fair, the church is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, like it is the Holy Spirit's work to create a church and a community through what Christ has accomplished, through what God has ordained. But here we have it again. Now we've moved in this section on the church, which is really under the banner of the Holy Spirit in the Apostles' Creed, to say, what do you believe about concerning the forgiveness of sins? And it says, I believe that God, because of Christ's atonement, will never hold against me any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I need to struggle with all my life. Rather, again, there's God the Father. God, by grace, grants me the righteousness of Christ, there's Jesus, to deliver me forever from the judgment. So in the section about the Holy Spirit and it's outpouring the church, we have questions and answers that include God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son, but not the third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Man, and in Ephesians, let me read this passage to you, brother, because in Ephesians, I mean, it just screams the Holy Spirit right. involvement in salvation and his necessity in the believer's life. It says, in verse 13, Ephesians chapter 1, In him you also, meaning Jesus, in him, you also trusted after you heard the word of Jesus, of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed. Look at look at look at the reward. Right. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now look at who the Holy Spirit is in salvation. Verse fourteen, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of His glory. Right. Man, that right. just shows it, it emphasizes the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation yeah. and in the daily life of a believer. You know, even last week we said that we use the language of God ordains, Jesus accomplishes, the Holy Spirit applies, right? Yeah. But we often, especially, so our community, the Acts 29 community, the new, young, restless, reformed, you know, they've been dubbed, or whatever, <laughs> Calvinist and Converse, whatever you want to call them, right? So I think one struggle we have, really, is we use language like that, but we're, we're considered the gospel-centered community. We see the power of the gospel as an ongoing work in all the believers' lives continually. So we use the language of the gospel a lot, but we miss that it's the Holy Spirit applying the gospel to us or mm. working the gospel out in our lives, causing us to see the idolatry in our lives, causing us to repent, seeing the work of Jesus is overcoming those things and applying it to our lives. Yeah. I think of a couple things, man. I, you know, just the first preaching of the gospel yes. by somebody else is Peter, right? Peter, so yes. Jesus ascends. Wait here until my Holy Spirit comes upon you. Then you'll be able to do this, right? So then you'll be my witnesses here, there, everywhere, right? Okay. <laughs> so Peter then filled with the Holy Spirit, walks outside to the very same Jerusalem that just crucified Jesus, you know, weeks prior. And he preaches this gospel, man, this heavy handed, like talk about fire and brimstone. This yeah. Jesus in whom you crucified, yeah. he says to the very crowd, right? Yeah. God raised from the dead, like... God just trumped what you did, man, yeah. just showing how wrong you are. And so anyhow, he preaches this gospel from Scripture, but it's heavy. Yes. And the crowd, this Jewish crowd responds to him and says, okay, you're right. What do we do? How must we, what must we do to be saved? Yeah. Here's Peter's answer. He said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Man. And so when we look at this, when we talk about forgiveness of sins, which we talk about a lot, we cover it in other episodes, we believe that we are forgiven for our sins. When we repent, we come to Christ. His blood covers it all, right? Yeah. That we must, as the catechism answer we, today we have, says we must struggle against all our lives. So we're not, we're forgiven. We're not perfect. We have to struggle against sin. But the way we do that is through the Holy Spirit that lives in us. We 
especially us in the reformed theological tribes and, and groups and networks, we have to remember the presence and the power and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Ooh, that was Baptist. Presence, power, promise. Ooh, it was alliteration. Vinny Hanke, did you hear me? Come on, buddy, I'm following in your footsteps. There you go. Hey, man, so we have to remember, all kidding aside, the role of the Holy Spirit and the prominence of the co-equal divine Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And you know what? And remember, in John chapter 21, Peter's a struggling fisherman who's right. yet to receive the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, He's failing, on, he's failing, flailing, however you say the word, on his faith. Right. We see 40 days later, after Pentecost, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and yeah. this message comes out of him. Man, the Holy Spirit is amazing. He's a necessity, and I'm grateful that God has given it to us. It's good, man. Just want to say thank you to everybody for listening uh, to the Generations Church podcast. We release a new episode every Tuesday of our Guilt, Grace, and Gratitude series. If you are enjoying this uh, podcast as much as Jeff and I are, please let us know. Uh, write a review uh, and um, share it on your time. Right? You we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much and have a great one. For more information, visit our website at ginfamily.church. G-E-N family.church. You can also follow our social media accounts at ginfamilychurch.com.